Man, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for for making the effort to come out to service. Uh, this this church thing that we do is more special and more significant and more meaningful than I think any of us realize. And when we get to come together to be with each other, to encourage one another, to grow in our relationship with God, I'm telling you, um, it's it's just cool. It's awesome. I think God can touch our hearts and move in ways that he just, I don't know, I don't want to say can't, but just doesn't. You know, getting to experience God together is awesome. And so I want to say thank you so much for being here. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well. Glad that you are tuned in this video, and I hope that you grow in your relationship with God too. Now, we are in uh, in the middle of a series called Colossians. We kicked this off last week, and it's all about a New Testament letter in the Bible called Colossians. So you can tell as a staff, we were out of creative energy when we got to this series. Um, this is... This is a little bit different series for us as a church. This is not typically the way we do things. More, more so, we kind of pick a topic or a big kind of overarching and then pick topics that fit within that. This is actually just about walking through this letter called Colossians. And not, not necessarily a line-by-line Bible study. You know, we're not going to look at the Greek version of a word or something, but just kind of taking each chapter at a time. Colossians is four chapters long. This series is four weeks long and just kind of picking out the main point in each of those and talking about them. And more than just what we do here at a service or more than just a video that you watch online, I really think it would be awesome if we all read through Colossians ourselves over the course of this series. And so if you want reminders to do that, you can text the word read to this number right here. You can do that right now. Pull out your phone. I won't take offense to it at all. Um, when you text read, what that's going to do is sign you up for a reminder once a week. Okay, we're not going to spam you or anything like that. Just once a week, it's going to remind you to read a different chapter of Colossians. It'll be four weeks long, and then that's the end of it. And statistically speaking, studies have shown many of us don't read our Bibles regularly, if at all. But this is such an, an important, such a valuable tool for us to grow in our relationship with God to get to know him better, to get to know his heart, his will for our lives, all those things. And so we just want to encourage all of us, myself included, let's read through Colossians and allow God's word, the Bible, to speak to us and to pull us closer to him. But when it comes to reading the Bible, there are some foundational rules that we have to go through first. And, and I think this is one of the reasons why so many people and even Christians have wrong ideas about about what this Christianity thing is, bad theology, is that many people just don't know how to read the Bible. Because you don't read the Bible like any other book. You don't read it like any other novel or piece of literature. It's, it's in a category of its own. And Kevin talked about some of the things to do when we approach reading the Bible last week, if you were here for that. If not, just go back and watch the message on our YouTube channel. The first 10 minutes he covers Lots of really good things. You know, basic questions we should ask when we read. Who, what, when, where, why, all of these sorts of things. And especially with the internet today, you know, it's, it's very easy and convenient to find those answers. If you want more help with that, um, I would suggest getting into a small group here at our church and asking the small group facilitators to help you kind of weed through those, some of those basic questions. There's a bunch of other things to follow in reading the Bible in this 
idea called hermeneutics or how to read. A couple other ones that I want to talk about today, just real brief before we move on, is the idea of discovering what the Bible says to us, what God says to us, rather than us trying to read something into the Bible. Technically, that's the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. I don't know who made these words sound so difficult and confusing. That's what it is, though. So with exegesis, we try to discover what does this actually mean in context? What is God trying to say to me? Eisegesis is, here's what I want this verse to mean, you know? And so many people, hopefully none of us, but so many people and even pastors and churches will take a verse out of context because it fits a point, you know? And I, I was just listening to a, a pastor about two weeks ago, and, and he did this, and I was so shocked. He took something Jesus said at the Last Supper and totally made it say a different point. Not a bad point, not a wrong point, just not Jesus' point. Okay, and that is such a slippery slope. We should never do that. That's horrible Bible reading practice. We should try to discover when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading a book, when we're hearing a message, what does God actually want to communicate? Not what do I want this point to be or, you know, what's something that supports, you know, a, a point that I want to make. You know, like Jesus said, ask anything in my name and you'll get it. Well, I asked in his name to win the $1.5 billion mega ball, you know, a couple weeks ago. I'm still here, which means that didn't happen, okay? So just kidding. I wouldn't go anywhere even if I did. But uh, that is just, let's, let's not do that, okay? Exegesis, what does this actually mean? And I think one of the biggest things that many people, many of us often miss when it comes to reading the Bible is reading it from the right direction. And, and here's what I mean by that. If it's raining in North Branch, you can't accurately say it's raining in all of Minnesota, right? It might be, but it also might not be. But the reverse, if it's raining in all of Minnesota, well, then it absolutely is raining in North Branch. And I think when it comes to reading the Bible, we can't start small and work out to the big picture. We have to start with this 30,000-foot overarching view and then work our way down to, you know, letters or verses or a word that, you know, Paul or Jesus said or something like that. And so when it comes to Colossians, what we are kind of studying in this four-week series, the big picture view is this, that we have a loving Heavenly Father who desires a relationship with every single person. That's why we were created to be with him. The problem is, is that we've all sinned. We've broke that relationship. That's why he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty and that when we put our trust in him, we can be right. Okay, so that's big picture. Then we can start breaking it down a little bit more. Okay, this letter is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus has already lived and died and rose and ascended into heaven. Okay, that's that. Now, this is a letter called Colossians that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people he'd never met, but who would put their faith in Jesus. And then we can bring it down a little further. Okay, why did Paul write this letter? It's this right here, Christ in all. He wrote this letter to these believers so that they would know Jesus is everything. Okay, it's all about Jesus. He's the central figure of our faith. He's what everything hangs on. I'm writing this letter to you, Colossians, so that you do not drift away from this Jesus thing. 
And then once we have all that, then we can start to look at different chapters and what does he say and verses. And last week, Kevin walked us through chapter one about how we are made right with God by putting our trust in Jesus and nothing else. We are holy and blameless as we stand before God if we have put our faith, our trust in Jesus. And so with all of that kind of in mind, now we can move on to what Paul writes next. And we can move on to chapter two. Now, just a little side note, okay? Chapter two, when Paul was writing this letter in his prison cell, he wasn't going, chapter two, okay? We added numbers later, all right? I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, chapter numbers and verse numbers didn't come in until about the 12 to 1500s. So Paul writes this next section. We call it chapter two. It's beneficial for studying and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, there's that. And also, I just want to say this, a little disclaimer before we get into anything today. The topic we are going to talk about today is going to be challenging for some of us, especially if we've been a Christian for a long time. The longer we have grown up in the church or been exposed to kind of Christianity in the West sort of thing, the more difficult this is going to be to accept. But I just want to say this, okay? When you hear stuff today that might be challenging or might kind of rub you the wrong way, number one, don't shoot the messenger, okay? This is not Shaheen's letter to the Colossians. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians that God inspired him to write through the Holy Spirit, okay? So, and let's just, don't don't tune out, don't run away. Let's just listen and un- try to understand what God wants us to know. Okay. So Paul starts off chapter two, this second section by just kind of talking again about his love for the Colossian believers. He even goes on from there to say, Hey, you know what? I care about you, but I care about all the Christians in your area that I've never met yet. And he says this, he says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is is basically just, again, repeating his main point for this letter. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. Okay, don't miss that. God's mysterious plan is this, that from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, he has set forth in place a plan to restore humanity to himself, to reconcile humanity. He promised a savior in the garden. He worked through thousands of years of the nation of Israel and generation after generation to create a lineage through which the Messiah would be born, talking about Jesus. But from here, Paul goes on to address a challenge that the Colossian believers were going to face. I'm telling you this. I'm reminding you all about this Jesus stuff so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Listen, Colossians, I know you already know Jesus. Epiphras told me about your faith and how it's changed your lives. It's awesome. I'm so happy for you. But there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some people who come in and try to distort the gospel, who try to add or take away from this Jesus thing that I'm trying to emphasize to you. Paul's main point in this second section of his letter is don't be deceived. 
don't drift from Jesus. See, here's the thing. All of us can drift in so many areas of life, you know? We can, we can start off strong, but no relationship stays strong all on its own. We can have the best business plan in the world, but no business stays focused on its own. We can have bank accounts and, and, and want to be financially free, but a, a Roth IRA does not prevent us from spending money unwisely, you know? I think if, if we've got kids, you know, we want our kids to grow up and be responsible citizens, productive members of society. But guess what? When they turn 18, they don't just turn that way. It takes effort. It takes work. And we can have a goal. We can have something that we're working towards, set our sights on. But the tendency for all of us is to drift, is to deviate, is to start to get distracted with other things. And the exact same thing can happen in Christianity. And it has been happening since Christianity started. These Colossian believers in their culture, in their city, would have definitely been the minority. This Christianity thing was new. This whole Jesus thing was new. Paul writes this letter, you know, just a couple decades after Jesus was on the scene. And and there would not have been many of them. There would have been far more people from other religions, from Judaism. Gnosticism was really big during that time. Paganism was abundant everywhere. And and. And these Colossian believers, they heard about Jesus, they put their faith in Jesus, but Paul knew the pressure they would be facing from outside voices, that that the Jews would would try and whisper in their ears, yeah, you think it's Jesus, but it's also following the law. It's also obeying the rules. Or the, the Gnostics would say, oh, you think it's Jesus, but it's also superior knowledge. It's also about having this out of body experience sort of thing. And and the pagans would say, oh, you worship one God, but man, you got it wrong. You got to try and appease all the gods. And, and Paul knew that their faith was in Jesus, but he was also aware of the pressure they would face to deviate from that. And so he writes to them, don't be deceived. Don't drift. Don't get distracted. Don't distort the simplicity of Christianity, the simplicity of the gospel message. And he goes on to write some of the things that they most likely would have heard. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And so because of that, you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Listen, listen, Colossians, you're, you're going to hear some people try to, try to float some new philosophies and some new way of thinking and tell you, oh, whoa, I just discovered this. He says, don't fall for that, okay? That's not Christianity. That's deception. It's all about Jesus. You don't need to have some high level of, you know, like special knowledge in order to be complete with God. You are complete when you put your faith in Jesus. Don't be deceived. Over and over, that's his point. Do not be deceived. He goes on, gives another example. Also, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And guess what? Christ himself is that reality. You're going to hear people 
try and tell you, you got to follow the rules. You got to obey the law. You got to observe the Sabbath. You got to do this and that. No, you don't. It's all about Jesus. They're going to try and convince you, if you really want to be right with God, then you'll behave the right way. No, 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 no. Jesus is the reality of how we are right with God. Don't be deceived. Keeps going. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Listen, their sinful minds have made them proud, and they aren't connected to Christ, the head of the body. He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Don't listen to people who say they've spent 16 hours in their prayer closet and have a new revelation about God. No, 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 no. Don't fall into people who, who, who you know, want to say, look at my experience. Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Don't be deceived. And as if they still didn't get it, he still keeps going on. Listen, you've died with Christ. He has set you free, thank God, from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, high self-denial, severe bodily discipline. But here's the thing, Colossians, you need to know, they provide no help in fixing this. They provide no help in conquering our evil desires, no help in dealing with our sin issue, no help in giving us access to God. You're going to hear people insist on all sorts of things and teachings and behaviors and ways and stay away from this and do that and celebrate this and Paul says, BS to all of it. No, that's not it. It's all about Jesus. Don't drift from Jesus. Don't be deceived. Paul's trying to get these, these people that he loves so much, he wants them to stand firm in their faith. That anything else they might hear, if it wasn't Jesus, period, anything else was complicating and confusing the real message of Christianity. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes the only prerequisite the only requirement, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. That's it. That's Christianity. Don't move a degree to the right or a degree to the left. Don't add to that. Don't take away from that. Jesus, period. And it's not like, you know, his writing in Colossians is, is you know, some one-off sort of errant teaching. This this Jesus thing is all over the New Testament. It's in almost every single document that we read there. The importance of Jesus, the foundational right with God, access to God, heaven when we die, is all about Jesus, period. In Galatians, a different letter that Paul writes, he says, listen, why, he, he chastises them almost, why did you start off in the spirit or start off in faith and then drift back into works. He says, who's bewitched you? Who's confused you? That's garbage. What, what happened? He writes towards the end of that letter. He says, listen, if, if you think it's Jesus and following the law, you've been cut off from Christ. 
You've missed it. Paul, Paul writes another letter called Ephesians. He says, listen, this salvation thing, this right thing with God, it's not because we earned it. It's a gift from God so that none of us can boast. It's all about faith in Jesus. In Romans, he says, listen, now we have a way to be made right with God apart from the law, separate from behaviors and lifestyles and actions. It's through faith. He writes a letter to a pastor named, named Titus. And at the end of that letter, he just says, I don't know, four or five sentences about the gospel message, what God has done for us through Jesus. And he says, Titus, listen up. If anybody wants to argue about this with you, warn them once, warn them twice, then have nothing to do with it anymore, okay? Don't even talk to them anymore. You can get so easily distracted. Just do away with it. The author of Hebrews says Jesus is able to save once and forever those who are coming to God through him. I mean, over and over and over and over again, we see our right standing with God Our salvation, our access to God, our ability to go to heaven when we die is found in one way and one way alone. Faith in Christ, trusting Jesus, and that's it. But every single one of us will be tempted to drift from that. There's not a single one of us who are exempt, just like the Colossian believers in the first century All of us here today, everybody watching online, none of us are immune to drifting. It's a very simple message, but it's a very narrow message. And anything other than that is not Christianity. We don't don't face in our culture and our world probably the exact same teachings and words that the Colossians did, you know, about angels or the new moon ceremonies. That's, That's not super popular here. But make no mistake, we face the same fight that the Colossians did. Those of us that are Christians, we face the same fight to keep Christianity narrowly focused on Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've heard before, you grew up, you know, in a church, or maybe, maybe you even believe, I have no idea, but maybe you've heard if you're going to be a Christian, you can't drink alcohol or do drugs. Now, are those good things for us? No. I mean, maybe prescriptions for a small time, but, you know, in general, are those things that are beneficial and going to help us? Absolutely not. But do they affect our right standing with God? Not if our faith is in Jesus. It's not, being, being saved is not trust Jesus plus don't do drugs. That's not Christianity. That's being deceived. That's distorting the gospel. Maybe, maybe you've heard before, you've had someone tell you, listen, if, if you're going to be a Christian, then you can't watch certain movies or you can't watch that TV show or you, know, you can't listen to secular music. Now, movies and music are powerful forms of media that can definitely affect our emotions and our state of mind and they can rob us from spending time I'm with God, but do they change our right standing with God? Not if our faith is in Jesus. Don't let anyone insist on you have to do this or got to follow this. No, 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 no. It's not believe in Jesus plus throw away your Metallica CDs or whatever. That's not, 
That's not Christianity. That's being deceived. That's distorting the good news. Maybe you, uh, I know this is very popular, especially in, in our area, our culture. I don't know about those of you watching online, but maybe you grew up under a religious system that says, if you really want to be a Christian, then you have to be baptized and you have to have communion and you have to go through confirmation or catechism or whatever. And you know what? Those rules seem wise, don't they? They require strong devotion and self-denial. And yep, I'm going to dedicate myself to this 87-year class. That's not Christianity. Now, maybe we can learn some stuff in there. I don't know. But we don't have to do that to be right with God. It's Jesus, period. That's it. I don't know what the what pressure you may have experienced before, but maybe someone has told you or kind of insinuated, well, if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to vote Republican. Or maybe if you're watching in an inner city, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to vote Democrat. Now, are there political platforms that more closely align with Christian morals and ethics? Absolutely there are, okay? But... Our salvation, our right standing with God is not determined by Jesus plus what we mark in the polls, okay? It's Jesus, period. Do we get this? Do we understand? I think it's easy to nod, you know, sitting in a room like this or watching a video, but do we actually understand how to not only get right with God, but stay right with God as well? It's Jesus all the time, only Jesus, nothing else. Maybe somebody has pressured you before with spiritual disciplines, you know? You gotta, you know, if you're you're gonna be a Christian, you gotta really read the Bible and you gotta pray and you gotta go to church. And listen, I'm all for spiritual disciplines. We win when we do those things, okay? The more we grow in our relationship with God, the better we are, Those are some fantastic tools to grow closer to God. But do they open the door to God? Do they keep the door open? Is it like trust Jesus plus pray really hard? No, not at all. Don't be deceived. I was listening to the the same guy who took Jesus' words out of context a couple weeks ago. He didn't say these words verbatim. But at the end of his message, he definitely left people with the impression, if you want to go to heaven when you die, then you better read your Bible seriously. And I tell you what, man, I I didn't, but I wanted to jump out of my chair and punch him in the throat, okay? Like, I could not believe what a false gospel he was subconsciously emphasizing to people. Reading the Bible is awesome. We should all do it more but it will not make us or keep us right with God. That's Jesus alone. I know we've been criticized as a church because some of us wear hats on stage or we actually had a family one time about two or three years ago leave the church because one of our band members was wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt and another person had a skull on their hat or shirt and like That may not be your preference, okay? Thank God we've got diversity. We don't have to all dress the same. But does what we wear on our head or our shirts make us more or less right with God? 
Absolutely not. That is a lie from the pit of hell to deceive us away from what God has done for us through Jesus. And you're all sitting. Let me sit down too. This is where it's going to be challenging, okay? So this this is might ruffle some feathers. Um, we live in a world where sexual orientation and gender identity is a hot topic, right? And I'm not picking on this because it's any worse than anything else. It's just it's just the world we live in, and we need to talk about it, okay? So, but here's here's what many Christians pastors and Bible study authors and teachers and all that will say, I've heard it myself before. You can't be a homosexual and be a Christian. You can't be transgender and be a Christian. And I just want to say, according to the truth we read about in the New Testament, that is false. That is not true. Now, I don't say this. I'm, we're not affirming the homosexual lifestyle. Don't misunderstand me at all. Anytime we do something opposite of what God says, it is 100% wrong and it is a sin. Homosexuality has always been a sin. It is right now. It will always be a sin, okay? It's not God's will for our lives. We should not take our own sexuality and gender into our own hands. But we have to get this. If our trust is in Jesus, that we know we can't be right with God on our own, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't, he paid the penalty we deserved, he took the separation we deserved. If we believe that for ourselves, then our gay or lesbian or whatever lifestyle does not disqualify us from receiving God's grace. We got to sit with that for a while because there's a lot of Christianity that doesn't get that. That doesn't get the sufficiency of what God has done for us through Jesus. And here's the thing. It's it's again it's it's not good for us, it's not wise, but it's covered when we put our trust in Jesus. I've heard people say before, well, yeah, maybe you can have a tendency that way, but you can't, you can't willfully keep sinning. Really? Is that the hill we want to die on? Because I'm honest enough with myself to admit I still willfully sin. Now, I'm not making excuses. It's horrible. I wish it were not the case. This is not me downplaying the severity of sin. But... I don't do everything with my money that God wants me to do. I willfully choose to hold on to it more than I should. I willfully choose to not be as generous with it as God wants me to. I choose to sin. Not proud of it, but I'm I'm still a human being in a fleshly sin-ridden body, okay? It's impossible. I do not treat people the way that God wants me to treat people all the time. I choose to hold unforgiveness. I choose to be angry. I choose to to overlook the, the incredible value that every human being has regardless of their life. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, 
We're all there. We all willfully sin. We all choose to be greedy from time to time. We all choose to be angry from time to time. We all choose to to give in to gluttony or pride or idolatry. There's, There's none of us that were perfect enough before Jesus, and there ain't none of us perfect enough after Jesus either. Either Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient or it wasn't. If it's sufficient, that means it covers all sin, including willful sexual sin. Or if it's not sufficient, then we are all royally screwed. There's, there's no in between. It's either all Jesus or it's no Jesus. That's it. And I, I know it's, it's probably because of the, the line of, of work I'm in, but I've heard all the arguments against this, you know, oh, that's just cheap grace or that's just watering down the gospel. Listen, if you've ever heard that or maybe you've used those terms, let me explain them a little better. Cheap grace is taking the costly sacrifice that God made by sending his one and only son to leave behind his divinity and his glory, to live life with the the limitations of, of humanity, to give his life to be broken and bloodied and whipped and tortured and crucified for our forgiveness, to take that costly sacrifice and say, Uh, That was pretty good. Thanks for getting me started, but I'll take it from here. That's cheap grace. Watering down the gospel is not overemphasizing grace. Paul wrote in Romans, the more we sin, the more grace abounds. Not an excuse to sin, okay? Don't misunderstand, but it does not negate the truth. The more we sin, the more grace abounds. Watering down the gospel is about under emphasizing the grace of God that was shown us through Jesus. And how we live and what rules we follow in living a holy lifestyle is meant to be a response to salvation, not a requirement for salvation. And the minute we mix those two up is the minute that we start cheapening grace and watering down the gospel. I think sometimes we approach our salvation like it's a soccer game, you know, and and we're tied up and then Jesus comes in and kicks the goal. Well, we're ahead. Yeah, faith in Jesus. But then we think, well, but I got to keep playing, you know, I got to keep scoring. I got to keep running another 89 minutes. No, 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 no. When Jesus scored the goal, game over, period, done, go parade. You won the World Cup gold medal. It's settled already. This is what Paul wrote earlier in Colossians, he says this, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Praise Jesus forever and ever. We were dead, we were separated, we were not right with God, but then Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And Paul writes these words, you know, almost 2,000 years ago to the Colossians, don't drift from the assurance of the gospel. Don't add to, don't take away, don't make any extra rules, don't condemn anybody. It's all about Jesus. And I believe God is trying to communicate to us the exact same thing. Don't drift away from Jesus. This 
is Christianity. And so what, what do you and I do with this? Where do we go from here? It's actually kind of the main point that Paul writes at the beginning of this chapter. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him and not follow as in obey. That's the response. But follow as in stay focused on him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't drift. Don't be deceived. Don't distort the gospel. Don't do anything. It's all Jesus. I think, I think what Paul is saying is like, man, bet it all on Jesus. When it comes to salvation, put it all on him. Plant your roots in your faith in him. So that way, when a wind of new teaching comes, when a wave of new idea comes, when people try to tell you it's something else, it's Jesus. I ain't moving from there. My roots are planted in him. And I think if I could summarize what Paul was saying in this chapter, it might be this, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything else, any behavior, any language, any substance, any lifestyle, any whatever, fill in the blank, anything else is nothing. That's not how we're made right with God. That's not how we stay right with God. But it's actually the reverse, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else is where our salvation is found. Our access to God is maintained. Our future home in heaven is preserved and promised for us. Jesus and ain't nothing else matters when it comes to our right standing with God. How we live, all those things, following the rules, obeying God matters for our lives. It matters for other people's lives and our relationship with them. It matters for how we want to represent God's character to this world and be effective in his mission. There are so many good reasons to do what God says, but they do not make or keep us right with God. That's Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I want to wrap up today by just giving all of us, even you online, an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus and Maybe, maybe the light bulb clicked today for the first time, or maybe you understood this a, a, a while ago, and then you did kind of drift. You started thinking of those other things. You want to put your trust in Jesus again. It's just as simple as acknowledging, as simple as talking to God. And so if we could around the room, just bow our heads just for a little bit of privacy, not because you have to bow your head to pray, but if you want to put your trust in Jesus either for the first time or you want to recommit that trust away from something else and solely on Jesus, I would just ask if you would just raise your hand just for me. Okay, God knows your heart. You don't have to do this for him, but like just so I can know who I'm praying for. That is awesome, man. I see your hands. That is, this is the best decision you are ever making. I am so stinking happy for you. All of heaven is rejoicing that you're making this decision. All of us, would you, just, would you just pray with me in your heart? Father, I acknowledge and I admit before you that I am a sinner, that I am unable to be right with you through any efforts of my own. I am powerless to be on your good side. But I thank you so much for Jesus. 
Thank you for sending a Savior. Thank you for making a way, Father. Jesus, I put my trust solely in you to be right with God. Solely in you to go to heaven when I die. Nothing else. Father, would you help me stay narrowly focused on you? Protect me from drifting into any sort of works or behavior sort of mindset. God, thank you for Jesus, such a complete and sufficient way for me to be right with you. Thank you for reconciling me to you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.